Romans 8:26-39 Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own Son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Word of God for the people of God. Well, we're continuing, actually wrapping up, in Romans chapter 8. Over the past two, now three weeks, we've been talking about this chapter and and unpacking what it means for us during this time. And we're finally reaching the climax of, of this text right here, which Paul says, For I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the great love of God. But what does that mean for us during this time? You see, for the past two weeks, we've talked about, our spirit, about spiritual connections with one another. That was week one and what it means to be spiritually connected even in a time of social distancing. And then our spiritual connections with creation and how creation itself is longing, crying out for the the revealing of the children of God. And now, our text today, continuing in chapter 8, begins with the reminder that our connection with God is also a spiritual one. And that it is the very Spirit of God that intercedes on our behalf to make that connection. Verse 26 says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. I can't tell you how many times in my ministerial career and also just growing up in the church that I've come across people who constantly say, I'd rather not pray out loud because I'm not sure if I'm doing it right. To which I typically say, there is no right way to pray. And then I follow up with saying, 
Nobody knows how to pray because we are often just so, get so wrapped up in our words that we forget that it's a conversation. Even I, yes, especially I, fail to fully grasp what it means to pray. But verse 26, Paul gives us this encouragement, but the, but the very Spirit, the Spirit of God, intercedes with sighs too deep for words. Consider that, that in this spiritual connection with God, God's very Spirit is helping us form this connection, helping us understand how to communicate. For those of you who, uh, who might be parents or those of you who have worked with small children, you might remember the time in which you're teaching your child or the child that you're with how to speak and how to effectively communicate with you. We are still growing and developing and learning what it means to communicate with God and to, and to engage in this connection with God. But it's God's Spirit which intercedes on our behalf. And, verse 27, God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for saints according to the will of God. It is through this connection this spiritual connection, that something remarkable occurs in, in each and every one of us. As we seek out God, as we strive to make this connection, as we allow the Spirit to intercede on our behalf with sighs too deep for words because, well, frankly, we might not know how to pray. We often make it too much about ourselves anyways. And as the Spirit is interceding on our behalf, something incredible happens. We begin to be transformed into what we were always meant to be. Have you ever thought about that? That, that human beings, we're, we're always developing. We never quite make it. John Wesley, uh, in, in his development of theology that we now hold as Wesleyan and Methodist theology, said that we, in the process of justification and sanctification, are being made perfect. And he fully believed there was the, uh, that there's the possibility that we could be made perfect in this life, but it is only by the grace of God. But the part that he emphasized so heavily is the fact that we are being made perfect, that we are still works in progress, and that that perfection is what we were always made for from the very beginning. And what does that perfection look like? What does it look like to be made wholly human in the, in the hands of God? We go down to verse 29, which has some pretty uh, weighty language, which we could dive into, but it would take a lot of time. And if you have any questions about the language used in this text, please feel free to reach out. But verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So the part that I want us to look at here is that that piece in which, in which Paul says that God has chosen us to be conformed to the image of God's Son, to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. 
Imagine that, that all along that has been our destiny to be made like Christ, holy and set apart, loving, kind, righteous. The whole time, that's what we're being built up to. And, and here's the part that I really want us to consider. At the beginning, it says, for those whom he foreknew, those whom God foreknew, in other words, those whom God knew before everything else, which, by the way, is everyone. Those whom God foreknew. Perhaps you might remember a certain psalm that says, God, before you formed me in my mother's womb, you knew me. Yes, we are each and every one of us foreknown by God and called within God's loving family to be conformed to the image of Christ. So what does it mean to be conformed to the image of the Son? Or what does the image of the Son even look like with us? Well, let's think back across everything that we've been building up to through Romans chapter 8. We started with connection to others. Jesus was the epitome of human connectedness. Jesus, whenever there were large crowds present, thought first about their needs and cared for them. Jesus, whenever any one person came up and asked for help, was there to provide it. Jesus was always serving others. Jesus was always attending to his connection with others, both crowds and individuals. Jews and Gentiles, the Samaritans and the Galileans. It didn't matter who the person was. Even when Pharisees such as Nicodemus came up and wanted to know more, out of compassion, Jesus works with them and grows their connection. Jesus also, when we're at, talking about what does it mean to be conformed to the image of the Son, Jesus is also the one who embodied connection to creation. You see, it was Jesus who, in the middle of a raging storm, out in the sea, on a boat with his disciples, was able to speak and calm the storm, to calm the winds and the seas. And his disciples asked, who is this that commands even the winds and the seas? You see, Jesus had this spiritual connection with creation, with all of creation. Jesus is the one who, even after his resurrection, fills the nets of the disciples with fish. Jesus was attending to his connection with creation at each and every point. And most importantly, Jesus had the intimate spiritual connection to God. Countless times we look in Scripture and we see Jesus drawing away from the crowds for just a moment to spend in prayer. Jesus crying out desperately in the middle of, uh, just before he is about to be murdered, crying out to God. Jesus spending intimate moments in the transfiguration with God and multiple moments in which God calls out from heaven and says, this is my son, 
with whom I, whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So whenever we're talking about being conformed to the image of God, what we are talking about is adopting that spiritual connection with others, with creation, with God. We have always been capable of this. There's just always been the barrier of our own self-interest that we have to overcome of what we might think we're, is right or what we might think we're supposed to do. There's always been that barrier. But Jesus gives us the example of what it means to connect with others, to connect with creation, to connect with God intimately, desperately, in a way that, their very, that our very existence might rely on these connections, which, by the way, they do. But what about those times when it seems difficult to connect with God? Like during quarantine. You know, one of, the, one of the things I hear pretty often during this time is people saying, when are we going to be able to come back to church? I'm missing that connection with God. I'm missing being in that holy place. So what about these times when it seems so difficult to just connect with God? What do we do? Paul tells us in, in our text that God refuses to be apart from us. That's actually the, the entire story, the entire narrative of the Bible. From start to finish, the entire Bible is the story about God seeking to be connected with human beings. We start out in Genesis with God walking with human beings in the garden, actually walking. Adam and Eve can hear God's footsteps God actually walking, being with people in the garden. And then there's a whole bunch of chaos in the middle of it, and then we get to the book of Revelation, and at the very end, we see a new heaven and a new earth, and God is right there at the center of it all and is dwelling once again with the people. It's this part in the middle that we're having to contend with, though, because we are so eager to go our own way and to try to satisfy our desires through anything but our connection with God. And yet God is still pursuing us countless times over and over again in each book of Scripture. It's God crying out, let me connect with you. Let me be with you and you be with me. God has always been making every effort to connect with us. Paul says, for I am convinced. Mm, that conviction. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What has Paul so convinced? The fact that God is always chasing after us, relentlessly pursuing us, desperate to be with us. Paul says, I am convinced that nothing will separate us from this great love because God will not allow it to be so. Even in a time of, of being socially distant from one another, even in a time when we can't be in church, God is still right there with us seeking to be connected with us. 
And so, if nothing will separate us, as Paul says, then what is holding us back? What is holding us back? Because you see, although God is relentlessly pursuing us, it is our responsibility, our choice to be connected with God. We're kind of like in this, in this great game of tag in which God is chasing after us and we're just running away like, no, don't get us. And God is like, no, you don't understand. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to get you. I'm not trying to tag you. I'm trying to just be where you are. Quit running away. But that's kind of what we specialize in, finding some other place to be, finding something else to pour our love into, finding something else to devote ourselves to. And so if nothing will separate us, then we have to ask, what is holding us back? And it always has been our own self-interest. Paul makes a dramatic statement towards the end of our passage today in which he says, this is in, uh, this is in verse 37, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In all these things we are more than conquerors. And the question remains now, after that statement, conquerors over what? What are we conquering? The word conqueror kind of implies that there's something for us to overcome, something for us to take over, something for us to supersede. If we look back earlier in the chapter, in chapter 8, and how Paul starts this chapter, we might be reminded that through God's relentless love, we become conquerors over the things of the flesh. Do you remember us talking about that two weeks ago? The things of the flesh versus the things of the spirit. And Paul says we are so prone to engage with things of the flesh. We so often set our minds on the things of the flesh. And the whole time Paul is saying, no, set your mind on spiritual things. But we're like, no, we, we don't want to do that because that's difficult. Because the things of the flesh are easier. They come more naturally to us. And, you know, we get a little bit of instant gratification from that. That is what we need to conquer. Our selfishness, our loneliness, our brokenness, our desire to do things our own way, our desire to ignore God because we think we know best, our desire to try to prove ourselves as equals with God, when the whole time God is just saying, no, this isn't about anything but my love for you. God is asking us to reach out with that same love, to be connected with God and to overcome, to overcome the things of the flesh, to overcome our selfishness and self-interest, to overcome our loneliness, to overcome our brokenness through God's love. That's what he says. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, not on our own. It can never be on our own but through the one who loved us, who loves us still. And so how do we become conquerors? It's been laid out for us this entire time in chapter 8. First, by connecting with others. 
we remember our spiritual connection, even though we might not be physically present with each other, we can still connect together. We can still grow together and learn together and support one another and pray for one another. We can still be connected to one another, and it is so important that we do. That's part one. Part two, our connection with creation. For all that God has created has been for God's glory, not for ours. And so the way that we choose to interact with creation should always be for God's glory and not for our glory. And God is calling us to live in harmony with creation. And creation is longing, if you remember, longing for the revealing of the children of God, for the revealing of the people who have a changed, a transformed mindset of a spiritual connection with creation as well. And then part three, our connection with God. For it is God's spirit that intercedes on our behalf, calling out with sighs too deep for words to make this connection with God that we are so often too scared to make or perhaps just too unwilling to make because it would mean changing everything about our lifestyle, about the things we found to be easy and comfortable. But it is through our connection with others, through our connection with creation, and through our connection with God that we become more than conquerors over the things of the flesh, over our selfishness and self-interest. And so, my challenge for us today is simply to pray. That's it. That's it this week. My challenge is simply that you would pray. But don't pray perhaps like you normally do. Pray instead by being still, by being quiet, by allowing the Spirit to intercede on your behalf, by allowing God's own Spirit to move through you, drawing your attention to God's will, moving you towards what God is saying, listening to the voice of God that cries out. Not in an earthquake or not in the wind and not in the fire, but in the calm voice. My challenge this week is that we pray, that we continue to develop and form this deep, intimate, spiritual connection with God for which we have been made from the beginning, that we might then be transformed and conformed to the very image of God's own Son, Jesus Christ, that we might be the examples of holiness in the world. Because God is trying to break through and we're the only things holding God back. So let us come to understand our connection with one another, come to understand our connection with creation, come to understand our connection with God. Let us be transformed. Let us be conformed to the image of the Son of God. Let us be made holy in God's perfect love, remembering that nothing can separate us from the love of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And let us pray.